This teacher is having her students do 3D CAD modeling through their own web browsers at home. Hear her experience next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. My guest is Amanda Howe, technology, engineering, and robotics teacher at Mashpee Middle High School in Massachusetts. Lately, Amanda's been teaching CAD, or computer-aided drawing or drafting, all through the cloud-based CAD platform Onshape by PTC. I spoke to Amanda about this newer pandemic CAD experience, but also about how she got into engineering education in the first place. The more that I learned about you, kind of the more like honored I guess I am to have you in because I, I learned that you were Teacher of the Year recently in STEM. Is that right? Yes, I was. So two years ago, I was um, awarded the Massachusetts STEM Teacher of the Year Award. And though I appreciate your positive you know, accolades <laughs> towards me, I'm just like everyone else. Um, and I, okay. I was thrilled to, to win the award. It was very affirming for what I do in my class, um, especially because I'm not your ordinary teacher. Uh, I didn't come into education um through right after college, I was a career changer. And so, Mm. you know, a lot of times you question your methods and what you're doing on a daily basis and to win that award validated that I must be doing something occasionally right with my students (laughs) here in Mashpee. Um, So it was, it was a great honor. It was a labor of love to um, get, get through the whole process. It it was um, a lot of like um, essays and interviews and it was, but it was amazing to have that award um, given to me two years ago by Gillette's, um, the Hall at Patriot Place and Raytheon, the Patriots, the New England Patriots and the Kraft family. That's awesome. And so I know I'm two years too late, but congratulations. Thank and uh, you mentioned your school and where you're at a little bit, but tell me first a little bit about where you are in Massachusetts and Mashpee. So um, I teach at Mashpee Middle High School, which is a grade seven, uh, seven through 12th grade um, middle high school, as you know, here on Cape Cod. We're a really small town. We have about um, 900 students total in our building. It's a pretty small school, but we um, do big things. It's really um, awesome here. We have a career and technical education department, and I teach robotics, uh, intro to engineering to eighth grade, robotics one and two to high school, technology and engineering to high school students. I'm also the competitive robotics coach here for Vex Robotics and happy to say that our team um, for the first time in seven years has won the Southern New England Championship um, for Vex Robotics and is going to Worlds, though I'll be at virtual this year, but are going to Worlds. So um, a little bit about me. I do teach technology and engineering. I'm not an engineer by trade. I have an undergraduate degree in marine biology. I did 10 years in research and development um, with the MBL, Marine Biological Laboratories down in Falmouth, and with a couple of private pharmaceutical companies up in the Cambridge area in north of Boston. Um, But after being in research and development and R&D and microbiology, I just realized it wasn't the place for me. It was kind of a lonely environment to work in a lab, at least for me personally. And I could Mm -hmm. just see that I was a real people person. Um, And I made the decision to move into education. So I took the Massachusetts teaching test in general science and assumed I would become a science teacher. Uh, That didn't work out. I've got a tech ed position at Plymouth South Middle School and worked there for 10 years and learned on the job how to be a technology and engineering teacher. 
with a lot of help from my colleague um, and co-teacher at the time, Richard Mikeley. I had never taught up, uh, never picked up a power tool, never taught CAD, 3D design, any of that, and learned on the job and realized that I really liked project-based learning. I liked the idea of kids learning through exploring and innovation and problem solving. And even though I wasn't an engineer by trade, I guess I embraced the idea that engineering is truly problem solving and that Mm. anybody can can problem solve. Anyone can figure out, um, you know, have a, a problem, come up with a solution, go through the iterative design process and use and learn the tools and software. So therefore, for me, I'm not your typical lecture teacher. Uh, I'm much more of a facilitator. I am much more of a learn alongside the kids. Um, if the kids bring in something they want to try, I'm always up for it. It can be, I think, exciting most of the time because you're always doing something different but it can be a little bit nerve-wracking as a teacher as well because sometimes you still question like shouldn't I be the expert in the room am I necessarily Mm. giving my kids the best education because I don't know all the ins and outs of everything all the software or all of the tools and machines especially when new ones are brought in on a yearly basis but then you see kids that will rise to the occasion and their confidence grows because they become the expert with that particular item or software. Um, so that's that's my story. That's where I come from. I, I definitely am a little bit different. <laughs> that's kind of really awesome that you're a career changer. I have met teachers in that same situation. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk about when you knew, I guess, that you wanted to do teaching. Was it like a, a sudden thing? I know you said you're more of a a people person or is it like a gradual realization? I would say it was fairly gradual, though I have to give credit to my dad. When I was in college, my dad was like, you should take some teaching classes. You should you should take some education classes. I think you would make a good teacher. And I was like, dad, there's no way I'm ever becoming a teacher. It's not happening. Like we're just not discussing it. And um, unfortunately, as many of us learn as we get older, our parents are typically right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I had friends who alongside me were in the sciences did do education at the same time. And so they went into education right out of college. And I didn't. I was working in the lab and and then knew I had always loved kids and knew I wanted to have a family. And besides not wanting to be alone in a lab and knowing I was a people person, I knew that in order to be successful in microbiology, at least in my opinion, you had to go for like a PhD in order to run your own lab. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see Mm -hmm. that in my future, especially I'm a mom of four. I have a 12-year-old, a nine-year-old, and seven-year-old twins. And I knew I wanted to have a big family. I knew that teaching would be that that optimal career that allowed me to still be very successful as a female and feel the success of having a great career, but still allowed me to be a really successful mom. And so that's what made me choose education was when I, you know, I met my husband and I knew that was the direction we were going. And I was like, this is the right move for me. And honestly, I can honestly say I love teaching. I love my job. I wish more scientists and engineers would would give it a go because we need people that are smart and talented and understand all those fields to, to motivate our students to go to those fields. And there's a real uh, lack of teachers going into the technology and engineering field in the STEM fields. And we need, we need good, bright individuals with lots of energy that can motivate our students. And you also said that when you did decide to become a teacher, you thought you were going to be a science teacher at first. And instead, you 
went into technology. Uh, I'm curious how how that happened as well. Why didn't you go into science, I guess? So it's really tough when you're a career changer originally because I hadn't I had only passed my MTELS, my Massachusetts teaching license test, but I didn't have a formal education certification. I didn't have formal training as a teacher. So trying to get schools to possibly hire you without that education background is tough. It was tough Mm. 17 years ago to get anyone to look at me. Yes, I had the science experience, but to be honest, my first quarter, I didn't realize I was supposed to collect grades. I didn't even know what a grade (laughs) book was. And so I was really green that, you know, that phrase, like I was just really unaware of what it was to be a teacher. And so I applied for like an itinerant, a long-term sub position at the previous school I was at. And they were like, no, you're not the right fit for that. So I actually thought like, if I can't even get a sub substitute teacher position, a long-term substituting position, no one's going to give me a permanent position. And um, a couple of weeks later, the vice principal from that school called and was like, hey, you know, we need a technology and engineering teacher, a tech ed teacher. And we loved your energy and we think you could be really good at it if you would be willing to give it a try. So they brought me back in for an interview and they brought me to the old wood shop with like the vices and the coping saws. And they were like, this would be yeah. your classroom. And I was like, I jumped in. And I, I've always been that type, like I'm always up for a challenge. I tend to jump in before really learning too much about it. And then afterwards go, was that really <laughs> the best move? Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I ended up in tech ed. Um, and I didn't know how long I'd stay in it. But I found that once I went into it, I really loved it. I loved, because I, as I said, I'm not a lecturer. I, I loved just the opportunity to be innovative and creative and explore. And they were, the school was great saying like the curriculum's yours, make it what you want it, make it how it fits to your life and your experiences. And I've taken that. And for 17 years, I've always made the curriculum fit to what my um, strengths were as a teacher to deliver it, but also to what the strengths were of my students in a given year. And this was back in Plymouth, right? The the first yeah, school you mentioned? I, I first taught at Plymouth South Middle School. Okay. Would you say that that experience was, is that just something that is unique to tech ed? Like that you have that freedom in tech ed as opposed to say science classes? Or is it just that particular school and, and that principle that let you have that kind of freedom and, and uh, that atmosphere that you wanted? I think definitely the school was really supportive initially. And I think Plymouth was really innovative in that ideas. I say 17 years ago, it wasn't the norm to be as innovative and and broad in your curriculum design. I think 17 years later, looking now, many more schools are incorporating that innovation and project-based learning. Makerspaces have become a norm. Mm -hmm. Um, Creativity has. I think there's been a real shift in education to diversify, but also give more individualized instruction to make students more individually successful. And when you have a curriculum that's creative and innovative and allows for problem solving, it allows the kids to kind of lead their their education a little more. And I think with this push mm-hmm. for social emotional learning, we're trying to get kids to engage in what makes them feel successful. So I, I think, um, I think there is a shift. I think there's a real, there's a real opportunity to shift education right now to have it be more broader, more creative, more innovative, even while still covering the standards. 
I mean, you probably could speak to that more than me, Pius, because you probably talk to more educators on your podcast. But I do think educators are trying to be much more creative in their education than what it was 20 years ago, 17 years ago. I think you're right. I mean, at least from what I've heard, I think I might be biased because I'm purposely seeking out uh, tech ed teachers like you, you know, science teachers who believe in project-based learning and everything. But I think you're right. I see it even outside STEM and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you didn't know CAD before 17 years ago, and clearly you use CAD now. What was that whole journey like? I'm assuming you didn't just, you know, instantly pick that up as well. So um, I was... Um at Plymouth South Middle School, when it came to using any sort of CAD, it was very um, rudimentary. I used um, initially just like Google Draw, you know, 17 years ago. Got my first 3D printer mm-hmm. when I was probably in my my sixth year of teaching. And so it it wasn't as popular as it is now. And so, you know, we just started out with just drawing simple CO2 cars initially on Google Draw. And then that has now become Google SketchUp. And so it's a little um, more robust. Google SketchUp is a cloud-based um, mm-hmm. 3D designing and CAD software. So that's where I started out. It was all self-taught, watching tutorials, trial and error, figuring it all out. Um, fortunately, when I came here to Mashpee Middle High School, they had a really great and supportive administration that allowed for different training and pushed me into exploring how I could better myself. They sent me to actually PTC um, down in Natick in Massachusetts in the Needham Natick area. And I was able to attend a training and learn about 3D design and CAD from PTC. They actually are the ones who developed Onshape. At the time, they didn't have Onshape. They had PTC Creo Parametric. So I learned some Creo when I first came here to Massachusetts. Middle High School. We used Creo for a while. Then I went in and I was able to learn some Fusion 360. So I did a little bit with that. And then we went on to this year, we've um, landed with Onshape, which has been great because in a pandemic year, we've had to go cloud-based. All of our students are a one-to-one. They all have a device, um, a Chromebook. But as you probably are aware, Chromebooks aren't really the best for, you know, CAD. They're not the best for 3D design CAD. All of those graphic-based, mm-hmm. heavy graphic-based softwares don't really typically run on a Chromebook. You need a laptop. And let's face it, we can't afford to give laptops to all of our students to work remotely. Right. So Onshape was just the natural best fit for this year. And I didn't have experience with Onshape before this year. And when I heard from a colleague that there was a cloud-based 3D CAD, I was like, oh, we have to try this out. We have to get our students using it. And in my technology and engineering class at the high school level, we started using Onshape. I liked that they had the tutorials for the kids to kind of go at their own self-pace and to to do things to self-check to see if they were understanding it initially. Once the kids got a base on um, CAD, we're now here in the um, fourth quarter of the year. And what's really cool is I have kids designing different things. Like um, my high school students are designed designed wind turbine blades. So we had these model wind turbines and the kids started out with designing, um, you know, with testing the wind turbines with the blades that were already available with the project, with the um, assembly, the wind turbine kit, right? And then my challenge was, okay, you see which ones work the best with the kit. How would you design your own? So then they went on to creating actual models, you know, just um, stencils right out of paper and cardboard. They tried different materials, plastics, and they tried different shapes and tried to see what they could get for an output from the wind turbine. 
once they determined their optimum design, they went into Onshape and they created their wind turbines in Onshape and they were able to 3D print them and really see what was um what was good and what what didn't work, what did work. And then they could, I like the iterative design process that they could go back in and alter their designs and re, you know, they could reprint them. But what's really cool is that now we're into quarter four and the kids have gotten a really great understanding of Onshape. They are able to create their own video tutorials of a model that they've created in Onshape telling another person how they made it. So basically like their own do-it-yourself tutorial. Um, I challenge my students to make these videos because we're having a virtual hackathon inventathon on April 30th um, and May, fir- uh, May 1st, those two dates here. And I wanted my students to create videos that would actually inspire other students to use different software, different coding programs and make their own project and make their own invention. So I think it's really cool that my kids have been able to attain a level of understanding that they're teaching it to someone else, which is every teacher's dream right? That if you can teach it to someone else, you truly have an understanding of it. You have a confidence built in you that allows you to give that knowledge to someone else. Totally. I I was thinking about what you were saying and you speak as if you had all the formal education to become a teacher. So that's pretty <laughs> awesome. You clearly picked up all the pedagogy and everything that, that you hear from the people who went to education school. Um, and I'm curious, this curriculum, for example, that you just mentioned with Onshape, this web-based CAD software, is, did this exist already or was this something you kind of had to develop? So, I mean, Onshape was already there and they had their um, tutorials. So they have like their academy that the kids can virtually go in and run through. Anyone who creates an Onshape account could do that. Um Curriculum, I don't use any sort of canned curriculum. Um, I never have, and and that's fine. Some teachers do, and it works really well for them. But any curriculum that I use is pretty much original to me or colleagues that I've um, asked I, if I could borrow it. You know, the virtual hackathon inventathon, that was something that I you know, attended a hackathon and eventathon with kids three years ago in person in Boston and Microsoft. And I said, well, our students in Cape Cod need a hackathon. So last year we did one and we um, collaborated with the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and had it at their tribal center, invited kids from five other you know, high schools, local high schools to participate. It was truly successful, our hackathon, and we knew it was something we wanted to continue every year. So, but then the pandemic hit. And we weren't able to do an in-person hackathon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, me being me was like, well, we'll just go virtual. And then in going virtual to create a hackathon, I said, well, we need we need videos. We need to be able to post videos, post presentations on a website that people can access. And so I was like, well, it should be student work. So I challenged our students. Um, for me, typically, assignments can come from a colleague, a conversation. They can come from Twitter. Um, I see something that looks really cool. It can come from, you know, watching 60 Minutes on Sunday night and seeing that the Mars rover, you know, that Perseverance landed in Mars. And so, you know, Monday morning, I come up with a lesson and challenge the kids. Um mm-hmm. Curriculum for me is just very organic. It always has. I almost think of it as like a tree that's growing with different branches and you never know what direction it's going to go in. Um, students, you know, years ago brought a Bose build, Bose build speakers, um, 
Bose did this really cool stuff. They came out with these kits where kids could build their own speakers. And one of my students came in and was like, Mrs. Howe, do you know that you can order like a kit to build your own Bose built speaker? And I was like, really where? And he showed it to me and I was like, well, I'm going to write a grant. And I got 10 of them in the classroom and kids were able to build their own Bose built speakers. So sometimes the curriculum comes from the kids. If they're interested, then I will go to any length to get it for them. That's awesome. What was the CAD that you used before COVID? I'm trying to compare, like, what was it like before versus now? You already kind of explained some of it. So last year we used um, Fusion 360. So we used Autodesk's version of um, Fusion 360, but that is very graphics heavy. It requires you to have a laptop or a desktop computer um, for storage. We've also in the past used, you know, the PTC Creo Parametric. We've used Tinkercad, which is another cloud-based one. So, but it's a little more elementary. So Tinkercad works well for like our sixth, mm-hmm. seventh, and eighth grade students. And, you know, we're doing a little bit with Google SketchUp um, and asking kids to kind of design their own dream house with Google SketchUp. The Onshape is really good for our drafting classes that are drafting like mechanical pieces. That's Onshape is the closest cloud-based CAD software to anything that requires you like a SolidWorks or a Fusion that requires you to be on a laptop. Yeah. And so the last time I used CAD was basically 10 years ago. So I'm a little out of the loop and I, I used SolidWorks and a couple of these other things. But as an educator, would you say really Onshape is the best cloud-based platform? I know you mentioned Tinkercad's not quite up to the level that you need, but uh, Onshape you think has the most features? Yes. Onshape is is the strongest cloud-based CAD software available. It is. It's the closest one to those SolidWorks and Fusion that you're talking about. Okay. Absolutely. It's going to give those kids the ability to do advanced CAD drawings, uh, you know, allows them to do assemblies, all those things that you look at if you're like in a drafting one, drafting two, and you're moving up through. Though, you know, on shape cloud-wise definitely has the best features. And how does that work virtually? Because I'm imagining that if your students are virtual, they're looking at you on one screen on Zoom or whatever. And I guess, do they just switch back and forth between... Uh, they switch between tabs or something. They're looking at you and then they look at their uh, on-shape screen going back and forth as you teach them. Or is it kind of like they just you have this virtual lecture and then they just go off and work on their own completely? So what's really great is with um, with screen sharing. So we're, we use Zoom here in our school system. And so you can log into OnShape, share your screen, and you can model while you're on. Like I have a clear touch in my classroom. So I would, I've been teaching under a blended learning model uh, where I would have like maybe six kids at home on zoom and six kids sitting in front of me in the classroom. So if you have a big clear touch, which I have in my classroom, I'm, the kids in class are able like in school to see what I'm doing on the screen while I'm screen sharing through zoom to my kids at home. So they're seeing the same thing as I'm doing it. Right. And then what happens is once I've given the introduction, shown what we're going to do for the day. Then kids can individually log into Onshape, do their own model, and then share it back. But what's nice is you can give kids screen sharing ability. So as kids struggle or they um, they have a question or they need to troubleshoot something, I'll say to them, well, here, Johnny, I'm going to give you co-hosting ability. You share your screen 
And then as they're drawing on their screen, I'm seeing it. And then I can say to them, no, click, you know, click that extrusion instead or change this dimension, you know, or grab that shape. This is what you need to do to alter it in live time. It's the closest we can get to that in-person opportunity where a kid is sitting at their desk and you go over and help, you know, troubleshoot a model. You know, there can be a little bit, you know, networking lag time issues, but, you know, there's other ways to do it too. Sometimes the kids will like send you a screencastify video of what they're doing, or they'll send you a screenshot. They'll email me a screenshot and see, this is what I came up with. It doesn't really work. And then I can email them back. Um, they are able to also, another great thing in, in Onshape is you can share your files. So there's a collaboration component, right? Like if they share their file with me, I can make changes in their file, send it back to them. They can share it with me and, and I can export it as an STL so that even when they're home, they're able to send me their design and I can still 3D mm. print it in school. So that's kind of how we get the back and forth with the learning on Onshape in this pandemic-based virtual learning environment. Okay. Yeah. It sounds a lot like when people are programming virtually when they share screens and all that. So that's cool. It makes me also wonder what kind of community there is with Onshape. I know you said there's tutorials that people can just look up and, and learn Onshape. So would you say there is a big community where students could just learn on their own if they needed to? Yes, Onshape has, they have definitely provided, yes, a community and a, you know, a virtual academy for kids to learn on their own. Absolutely. Um, I know that even you can find videos on YouTube for kids to follow. So there is, there is definitely that opportunity um, for self-paced advanced learning too, right? For kids who really gravitate to it and want to take it and run with it, there's that opportunity as well. So uh, I want to also ask about cost because clearly that's, a big deal. Um, do you need a lot of support infrastructure like your IT people? Do they have to be really involved in setting up on shape as opposed to say, you know, Fusion 360 or SolidWorks? Um, is it costly to get a license? That kind of thing. Can you talk about all of that overhead? I honestly can't talk about that overhead. I don't have a ton of experience with it um, when it comes to the overhead because fortunately, a lot of these um, CAD software programming companies offer educator licenses so our educate our education licenses so if kids are learning and they're in the high school like they can actually get a free license for their duration of their high school years and teachers can as well hmm. so and with the pandemic a lot of software companies have opened it up to make it free and available for teachers so We've been really fortunate to apply for grants or to apply for the educator licenses where it's been, we've been able to utilize it without spending a lot of money. Okay. And I'm trying to get a sense of how easy it is to get set up. It, it sounded like you just need a browser. That's it. Like it works on yeah. any browser. Don't have to install anything. Your students can install it. It's very easy for teachers to start with Onshape or, you know, any of these cloud-based softwares, whether it be like your Tinkercad or Onshape or Google SketchUp. I mean, it's simply you go in, you create your account, you can create a classroom if you want so that like your, your class lists and then a lot of it links to Google Classroom. So you just can put the link into your Google Classroom. The kids click on it. If they have a Google username and account, they sign in, create their username or account. It downloads they're good to go. Um, the, the companies have done a really great job of streamlining it for education purposes. And it's not 
it's not a heavy lift for a teacher to start using Onshape or another cloud-based CAD software. Hmm. Is there anything you would recommend that other teachers would have to watch out for or just be aware of that's unique to using a cloud-based CAD software as opposed to the traditional ones? The only hiccup we came across, only so far hiccup we came across was that a student on a Chromebook cannot make a um, an STL file. So they can't like save it as an STL, which would be a, an STL file is a file you use to actually 3D print. It's actually the one that you use to create your model. Yeah. So they can't go in file, save it as an STL. They need to go in, share their file with their teacher, who then goes in, opens it up. It's really easy. You log into your Onshape and you see that a file has been shared with you and then you export it as an STL. It's like one extra step that takes like 30 seconds. And it was initially like, why can't we get this to work when they were on a Chromebook? And then we just realized, oh, it's just that's just one little minor hiccup that Chromebooks don't allow you to interface with creating the STL. But other than that, no, I really don't see any big issues with it. Sure. And and that sounds like a very specific issue anyway. And so that's cool to hear that for the most part, it's pretty smooth. Um, I'm wondering if you know about the future of of Onshape or how you are going to use Onshape. Is this something that you think you're going to keep using when you know, fingers crossed, COVID goes away, quote unquote, when, when people come back in person and everything, uh, is this something you're going to use alongside the traditional CAD programs? Absolutely. So I think that Onshape will definitely have its place, right? It definitely breaks down that barrier of, it allows everybody access. So if you teach in a school district where you're a one-to-one device district and every kid has a Chromebook, everyone has access to a Chromebook, and you're sitting in front of 20 kids in your classroom, you may not have 20 laptops to give them or 20 desktop computers, depending on what classroom you're in, but they all have 20 Chromebooks. So you can definitely introduce CAD through Onshape to every student. It breaks down those barriers for those underrepresented populations that don't have the the money or don't have access to, you know, a couple thousand dollar laptop that you might need. So hmm. Onshape to me is something that's not going to go away just if the pandemic hopefully goes away. It, it's, it's made a place for itself. It lends itself to everyone having access to it. So I definitely see it staying around. I definitely see myself using it in the classroom to get everybody on the same page initially. And then, you know, with, with if you go to a drafting two class or a drafting three class, you know, maybe you do go to some of the, um, you know, the, the SolidWorks or the Fusion 360. But I also think that kids who learned on Onshape as a freshman maybe this year and have understood it kids stick with what they're comfortable with, right? And what they know. And right. so even though Fusion 360 or SolidWorks or something else might be offered to them, initially that might be too big of a leap for some kids. And if kids have found success with Onshape, why would I personally, I guess, why would you change change it if they're leery of the change, right? Like if they're successful and they're doing well with it, let them continue. As long as they're, you know, achieving there's no reason to get rid of it. Yeah, something that a couple of engineers told me a long time ago when I was learning CAD and various products was that I guess once you've learned one 
software. And you can tell me if you agree with this or not. They told me once you learn one piece of CAD software, learning the next one is much easier. And so I guess if they've learned on Onshape and they had to learn, you know, some other AutoCAD thing or, or SolidWorks, would you say they could jump into it? That that they're pretty they're similar enough that they could just, you know, make that leap to the next software? Absolutely. There's definitely similarities, right? Like once you know that you once you have a flat object and you know that you have to extrude it, right? Or you know that you have to like use any of the different tools, whether it's chamfer, you know, there's there's vocabulary, there's tools that are universal, right? You understand what the different tools do. And so it's just an adjustment onto how maybe it's implemented a little bit differently on each software. But yes, I would say there are a lot of okay. CAD is very similar, very general, and there is a lot of crossover. Yes. That was tech ed teacher Amanda Howe. She said she was very open to exchanging ideas about STEM education with listeners and other educators. Find links to her very active Twitter profile and to her email in this episode's show notes. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my creative studio, Pios Labs in Austin, Texas, where I consult on engineering and education, making podcasts, programming educational technology, training professionals, and more. Follow Pios Labs on the internet to learn more. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. This podcast is possible thanks to lovely people donating to the show on Patreon each month. Help me continue this podcast. Donate to the show at patreon.com slash P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go online to k12engineering.net. That's K, the number 12, engineering.net. Thanks, listener, and until next time.